Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring three friends wandering through the wilderness of season 5. My name is Justin, and I'm joined by my co-host Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, a belated happy Thanksgiving. How are you doing? So full of turkey. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Turkey and pie and stuffing. Although, uh, I, I can say this because my uh, brother-in-law does not listen to my podcast. Uh, Jesse, your stuffing was slightly under par. N- no insult intended, but it wasn't inside the turkey's butt. Therefore, it was inferior stuff. It was not stuffing. It was dressing. And it was not, mo- it was not moistened with the, with the sins of the bird. <laughs> it did not have salmonella, and therefore... Look, there's one way to to cook stuffing, and that is up the butt cavity of a bird. And I I, I will die on that hill. Um, I refuse. I do not care. <laughs> Look, you want to cook dressing? That's your business. But you can't. A, you can't call it stuffing, and B, it will not be as good as the stuffing that I cook jammed up the rear end of a turkey. It's just how it works. Uh, but. <laughs> I have this fight literally all month long to the degree that like I've been banned from talking about it on this certain discords uh, with Aaron. So we can move yeah, on. Yeah, Including ours. Yeah, I know. Multiple discords, <laughs> multiple discords. That's because I'm right. Uh, okay. Um, Do you have a question for us? Yeah, no, I've got one. When was the last time you fell asleep in an inopportune place? Uh, does my couch count? No, no. Outside of, like, your house. Oh, um. This, so, this is difficult because I haven't really been outside of my house for, like, I know, we might be, we might, we might be, well, like, maybe stretching out, like, a little bit here. Or, like, what's the weirdest place you've fallen asleep? Oh, when I was at AWS reInvent right before the pandemic hit. So this was December before the pandemic fucked us all. Uh, AWS reInvent, for those of you that are not a particular kind of nerd, um, is a fuck-off gigantic conference uh, for people who use Amazon's uh, web services, uh, which is a lot of people, apparently, because they basically rent out the middle of Las Vegas for this conference. I'm not kidding. They rent out, like, the three Mm -hmm. biggest casinos in Las Vegas. And I had had a very long couple of months, and I basically... fell asleep on the bus between the casinos that shuttles people's around the casinos and just slept on the bus apparently for like two hours uh, as it just like shuttled between these three casinos. Wow. It was, it was a good moment for me. I missed like two different seminars I was supposed to be in really getting the uh, money out of my, <laughs> my company's dime there. Uh, I definitely slept on the floor under my desk more than a few times. Like, like are we talking office. like your 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 desk at home or your desk at your office? Desk at the office. Okay. 
Yeah, that's a pro move. I've done that a few times. That always feels yeah. good. And in particular, if I get a migraine at uh, and I'm at the office, I'll you know pop some meds and then turn the light off and then sleep under my desk for about 20 minutes and just hope that nobody opens the door and pray that I don't snore. I Back when I worked in QA, I did that a few times. Not the migraine part, but just like worked so late that I ended up just like falling asleep under my desk at the office. Good times. Work sucks. <laughs> what about what about you, Justin? Um, I don't think it's weird, but the but uh, let's see. I could say I could say an emergency room waiting room. Um, that's that's not that's not like unusual though. You, I think you're meant to fall asleep there. Let's. Did you have a concussion at the time? No, I did not. Okay, then that's fine. As long as you yeah. don't fall asleep with a concussion, that's probably no. Okay. It was just it was just a it was just a, a gallbladder <laughs> that that needed to All come right. out. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Let's what's a, what's the weirdest place I've got? I mean, I definitely have done it a couple. Like I've fallen asleep in a couple parks. <laughs> I, I used to be notorious for falling asleep during the like relaxation meditation portion of yoga because uh, I was like. Doing yoga classes while also, you know, in school, finishing up my degree and everything. And, you know, I used to (laughs) would get no sleep. Okay, you're not supposed to sleep here, but this happened a lot. I took a lot of naps while I was TAing in my senior year of high school. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was, I was bad. Like, I mean, I was like, I was a dumb teenager who, like, did not know how to appropriately sleep. And so I just caught up whatever I could. And so um, I would, I could, you know, I could create a day's worth of papers in like 30 minutes. And the last 20 minutes would be, or last 25 minutes of class would be. (laughs) Nice. I'm sorry, Miss Dial. Um, You deserved better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the yoga teacher would always have to like prod me awake with her foot at the, at the end as everybody was getting up. That's that's always a classy move. That always feels good. Uh, we'll talk more about my experiences with uh, falling asleep in meditation later on in, <laughs> in this episode, because I have uh, some experience with that. Speaking of which. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're covering two episodes today. Um, just trucking along here. Uh, these are going to be episodes five and six of season five. Learning Curve and Strange Relations. Um, I see here from the length of it that Jude got a uh, learning curve. So take us away. Okay. Okay. You can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> episode season five, episode five learning curve uh, was written by JMS, which may or may not surprise you. Uh, directed by David Eagle, our good buddy, David Eagle. 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 We've, Definitely made that joke a few dozen times. Uh, we open on Minbar, where a class of rangers is getting instruction on meditation, including a adorably snoring Pak Marah, a human with very poor sitting posture, uh, four years of formal zazen talking, which is really not that much compared to some people, but it's enough to know the right way to uh, sit without slouching while you meditate. And a Minbari who is having trouble with his focus. He doesn't think sitting quietly is much of a challenge compared to punching things, which is a load of horse shit if you've ever tried to actually do any sitting meditation, but it's neither here nor there. 
And his teacher, Turval, tells him that he needs to get that warrior cast nonsense out of his head just in time for a warrior cast ranger to show up and banter with him about what a pain in the ass religious cast he is. This ranger, Durhan, has been summoned by Delenn to report on their progress. Turval brings Mr. Punchalot, whose name is Tanir, and a snarky fellow who giggled at Durhan and Turval's banter named Rasten along with him. Rasten is excited to be chosen, enthusing Babylon 5, the home of peace. Smash cut to a guy getting the shit kicked out of him. David Eagle, this is not sophisticated filmmaking, but it is very fun, so I love it. There is a new power in the underworld on Babylon 5. Uh, a man with a very... I don't even know how to describe this Australian accent, but it's... Uh, okay, no, no, listeners, <laughs> we're going to jump ahead to Hey, I Know That Face, um, which will explain what this man's accent. Trevor Goddard uh, played Kano in the original Mortal Kombat movie. So if you just need an idea of what this man's voice is, just imagine Kano from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. Um He's out to make a statement, so he has his henchman execute this poor guy that owes him money, and then says to have the body dumped somewhere visible. Uh, meanwhile, in the officer's mess, Garibaldi flags down Zack to join him at his table, and before they can really start a conversation, he, spy- he spots Lockley looking for a seat and waves her over, too. He asks her how she's doing, and as much as I hate Lockley... As a fellow workaholic, I can super empathize with her response, which is to immediately start describing her current work problem. In this case, a Star Fury shift scheduling issue. While everyone listening tunes out. Garibaldi listens only enough to point out that since she was on the Earth side in the war, maybe she could use her pull with Earth to get the more Star Furies. This escalates into an argument like Sheridan racing to commit a war crime. While in the background, totally ignored, Zack tries to change the subject to the fact that he doesn't like saffron so that mom and dad will stop fighting. If you've ever had parents fight over your head, <laughs> this scene may cause some uncomfortable flashbacks. He more or less demands that she finally set the record straight as far as which side she, sh- she served on. And when she realizes that the entire fucking mess hall has fallen silent to hear her answer, she admits she was on the Earth's side. She talks a good game about why, but no matter how many noble words and gussied up ways she describes it, it feels like a load of horseshit. And if you imagine her uniform has an eagle and a swastika on it, it's pretty clear why. She basically is using the uh, just following orders justification. She storms out and ends up in an elevator with Sheridan. She tells him that she just had a frank and open conversation with Garibaldi, which is an interesting way of saying you've just admitted to being a Nazi, but that it was good, which is also an interesting take, and that she'll handle him. Sheridan asks her if she's having second thoughts about taking the position, which she denies. But I have to admit, I'm having second thoughts about Sheridan's fitness to be president if he's putting her in charge of B5. He says that he has every confidence in his decision to pick her, but he also says Garibaldi is a good man, so what the fuck does that say about his judgment? Elsewhere on B5, Delenn greets the four rangers as they arrive, much to their surprise and pleasure. Durhan is a butthead, Turval is kind, Tanir is honored, but then scolded for speaking when not spoken to by Durhan, and Rasten just sort of looks confused. Back in Down Below, security has found the man Trace had executed. Apparently, he's not the first. Zack correctly deduces that this is not where he was killed and confronts the crowd, 
asking them that if they if they know anything and saying if they don't come forward, likely one of them will be next. Trace and his lackeys are in the crowd, and Trace calls Zach a smart guy, which is that's a real, wild. Yeah, which really says something about Trace's ability to to read a person. I mean, I mean, he called himself a name like Trace. Yeah, which right? like my dude. That could be that could be like uh, his given name. Could be a virtue name. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, he decides that Zach needs killing. And yeah, I'm not sure how to handle this whole scene. JMS really needs to decide which Zach he wants to have. Uh, the competent security chief or the insecure himbo? Because we're getting both of them in this episode. And he, Zach just bounces between these two personality poles willy-nilly. Just completely absurdly. And it's you get real whiplash off it. Uh, one of Trace's goons, apparently a B5 local in the next scene, explains to Trace that here on B5, you can't really punch up at the command staff by killing them. It brings bad heat. Trace is utterly unimpressed and gives a super cocky speech about how the last place he was, he killed two security chiefs until they got one that they could deal with. He seems to think that that will work here. Uh, I'm not real concerned. Hey, look! We're back at the CPK Lashok, where Turval and Durhan are telling Delenn about how Ranger School is faring. Durhan is being a whiny shit, and it's not clear at all how he got to be a ranger, much less a ranger in charge, because all he does is bitch about other people. He doesn't like any of the other rangers who are joining the rangers now. Particularly unwelcome to him is the Pakmara, who they can't even figure out what to do with. Delenn responds that given people ignore and shun the race, they'd make great couriers. Durhan extraordinarily reluctantly admits this might be a useful suggestion, which is a pretty fucking grudging thing to say to, like, this religious icon <laughs> that, that leads your order. While Turval looks pleased to have a, a solution to the problem. After Durhan fucks off, Turval tells Delenn he's sorry about Marcus, but not surprised. Because Marcus joined the Rangers for the wrong reasons. And he's also concerned about another person who he believes also joined the Rangers for the wrong reasons. Lanier, apparently, has been throwing himself into combat training and being extraordinarily reckless. Like he's trying to prove himself to someone. Awkward, long look at Delenn. Delenn says that she too is concerned, and they leave it at that. In security, Garibaldi tells the telepaths he was promised he intends to use them sparingly. They look at him in total silence, presumably because, as telepaths, they can tell just as well as we can that he's full of shit. After they leave, he tells Zack to pull up Lockley's personnel file, and Zack immediately reverts into sniveling himbo Zack and tells him he isn't sure about this and doesn't just tell Garibaldi to fuck off out of his office. He's saved by the comm bell with a message that someone has a lead on the murder in Down Below. Zack scampers off to go deal with that, leaving Garibaldi to stare at Zack's computer with a sneaky look on his face. That lead, it transpires, is a trap. The woman who made the call did so in exchange for a ticket off of B5 from Trace. Her ticket acquired, as she is leaving, she overhears that they're going to kill Zack. She panics as her name is on the call, and she says she can't be part of a murder. They grab her, and her screams att attract the attention of Rastan and Tanir who are walking in down below to learn the station. Tanir wants to save her, but Rasten says it's not their place. Which, what? You're a ranger, buddy. 
Tanir saves the woman's life, but gets the absolute shit kicked out of him for the trouble. In Medbay, the other rangers and Delenn asks Franklin what condition he's in. It's bad. If he were a human, he'd be dead. The woman has escaped on the transport after she called security, and all Tanir managed to say is that they were human. Durhan tells Franklin to get him on his feet and mutter something in Minbari. The application of terror, it turns out to translate to. When Franklin asks Delenn, the next morning, Delenn goes to Lockley and very bluntly tells her that the Rangers will be taking care of this situation, leveraging the Alliance's political authority. Lockley looks thrilled, totes, but Delenn appears to give zero fucks. It's not about revenge, Delenn says, it's about terror. In their fight, Lockley makes a passing reference to Sheridan never doing something like this that sets off Delenn's bullshit alarm. Turval talks to Rustan about why he let Tanir, who regained consciousness in the night, go in alone. He was afraid, he says, of dying without a reason. Death in a cause is one thing, he says, but death without reason is another. Turval says being a ranger is about living each moment as if it was the last moment and doing the right thing no matter the scale. In voiceover, as Tanir staggers out of Medbay surrounded by other rangers and Minbari, Lockley asks what terror Delenn is talking about. The terror from inside. Tanir, she says, as soon as he can stand, must face those who hurt him or they will have power over him forever. He may fall from it, but in the end, every ranger faces death alone. I'm doing this scene no justice whatsoever. It's very good. And Delenn has much more to say on the subject, but I, I mean, I can't quote the whole fucking thing. This summary is already too long as certain people keep reminding me. <laughs> In Down Below, security pulls out, and Trace feels inexplicably confident, as if security pulling out is a good thing. Then the lights go out. One by one, as they try to escape to the upper levels, Trace's goons are picked off by the rangers to the sounds of erecting battle pikes in the darkness. Finally, surrounded, Trace shouts to stay away as he's herded into a circle of rangers before Tanir, then given a pike of his own. At first, Trace refuses. I've got my rights, he shouts. I don't know what his point is here, but Tanir doesn't care because he smacks him in the face with a, with his battle pike. And Tenir, and Trace finally uh, gets the memo and picks it up. Over the fight, Durhan and, and Turval narrate, and it's great. Uh, they narrate how bad Trace is doing and what a fucking yutz he is. And he even uh, unfavorably compare Trace's uh, fighting to that of the Pak Murat. In the end, Tanir beats him barehanded uh, and leaves Trace unconscious on the floor. As they leave, Turval and Durhan try and convince Delenn to come back to Minbar soon. She says they'll be th there soon enough. As they leave, we see that Garibaldi is once again in Zack's office, using his security gear to snoop on the exchange and making racist generalizations about the Minbari. The episode closes with Sheridan and Delenn in his quarters, where Delenn confronts Sheridan about that thing Lockley said, and he comes clean about their relationship, although we don't hear specifically what it is. The episode ends with Delenn turned away from him in bed as they turn out the lights. This episode is a fucking roller coaster. There's all kinds of weird shit going on in this yeah. episode. Yeah. I love all the ranger shit. The ranger stuff is good. I really enjoy the the like nature documentary commentary that they've got over the fight. Yeah, the fight is fantastic, and I have a lot 
to say about the fight, the, the nature stuff. Let's hold the ranger stuff and get the Lockley stuff out of the way. Um, Lockley sucks so much. Lockley's a, Lockley's a Nazi, and this is going to be my new thing. Now that Franklin is going to be having a reduced role, apparently, as we'll find out in next episode. Um, Lockley's a Nazi. That's what she says in her in her defense, air quotes, uh, of her role. Her Her justification is basically, I don't get to make moral decisions. I just follow orders. And Garibaldi, I hate agreeing with Garibaldi, but Garibaldi's like, did, and she's like, until I, until, you know, I have some reason not to follow orders. And he's like, did you, did you ever not follow orders? And she doesn't respond. And she's like, all I have are three words, like honor, loyalty, and blah, blah, blah. Which is like a super fashy thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's like, that's like straight out of the, the fucking Trigati too. Like I said. If you put her, if you put an eagle and a swastika on her uniform, you could fucking, she would, it would, it, it, she's a Nazi. Yeah. That defense is exactly how the Nazis defended themselves after the war. Uh, I am complete, it makes her being there fucking insane. And it makes Sheridan look like a goddamn idiot for, for putting her in that position. I don't care yeah, that they this- fucking banged for three months straight. It doesn't make any sense. It really is like the idea that like Lockley can come in and be like the this healing factor and the commander of this base, I think is just mostly this is a this is the result of JMS's worldview, at least at the time of writing this, that you can come into the middle of the aisle and do this. I mean, really Ugh. <laughs> the way that this is being set up, I know it's not going to happen, but it's like the way this is being set up. Like if I was if I was writing it, I'm saying like season six is the second Earth Civil War. <laughs> so here's what here here's my rebuttal to that. I disagree, and I think the problem with with the Lockley plotline is that JMS spent years and years brewing on the five the five year arc of Babylon Five. And he did it in four years. And then he had three coked up months to crank out season five's plot line. And what we got was the turd of a Lockley character. I don't think he had, because he wasn't even planning. Like, I don't think he planned on Ivanova leaving where she did. I don't think his escape hatch for her was Lockley. Like, I think everything about her reeks of, I don't know what to do. I'm doing this at the last minute. I'm scrambling to put this together. The telepath war stuff, Byron, that all reads as, this is something I had prepared, I had thought about, I had planned. But the Lockley stuff, that all reads as, I scooched all this in to get it done in in four seasons, and now I got a backfill. Yeah, where it's like, we've got a new character, and we've got to cram five years of drama into one year for this for this character. Yeah. And I'm never sure on any given episode whether we're supposed to like her or not. Yeah, I just think she's Nominally, I think we're supposed to like her. I I, I, I don't, don't get how we're thing. supposed to like her though. Yeah, that's the part of the thing is I don't I don't even think JMS knows. Yeah. Like, yeah, like that's the part I I don't agree with Justin is that the whole like meet in the middle of the aisle thing. Well, that's what it's supposed to be is that it's like he's like I picked this, I picked somebody on the other side so we can like come together and heal. That's like that's what it's supposed to be. 
uh, yeah. like textually. Where like I feel like I feel like you know the the better choice would be basically somebody who didn't join Sheridan, but who like there was that one there was the 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 one from the battle where she was like I'm not gonna join you I'm just gonna like sit this fucking shit fuck out. off and like yeah. sit this all out bye you know one of those would have been better the the person who said. I can't follow orders, but I can also not, like, rise against, like, I can't take up arms against my own government because that violates my oath. She did the correct thing, and she was like, we are going to go to neutral space and sit this one out. We are going to take, like, our crew is going to be off the table for this. Yeah. Like, it is the wrong choice still, but it's at least morally defensible. Yeah. Yeah, it's at least less wrong. Like, that, that would have been a solid type of character to bring in. Yeah. That would also, like, fit in well with the kind of neutrality of Babylon 5. Yeah. I I just feel like maybe that was what JMS thought he was, like, that was his thought process when he he created the character, but that's not the character he's writing. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, is that making sense? Uh, He may have thought when he was, like, outlining the Lockley character that this was going to be like a character from the other side that comes in. But the character he actually wrote is a, a bullheaded unrepentant fascist that has no business being in charge of the station where Sheridan, who literally conquered her planet runs his government. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like textually, that is the reason we are given. Yeah. Textually. That's the reason for the decision. It just turns out that Sheridan's a dumbass and do- and makes the wrong decision. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. He, no, he I comes think... up with this idea and it's just, it's a bad idea and he picks the wrong person. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the point I'm making is like, I think that's what JMS wanted to do with the character when he started with her and then he just wrote her badly so that it does, so that that intent yeah. doesn't work. I, I feel like she's in the same zone as Garibaldi at this point. Yeah, I think it works because it shows how bad of an idea it is. I, I don't agree. I don't think he intended us to think that Lockley is a fucking Nazi. He intended one thing. It comes off another way and it ends up proving a point of why it wouldn't work. It's it's an, it's like unintentional. But I think it like act. But like, I'm not saying it's good. I just think it's like it ends up proving a point that we have of like, yeah, you I can't do saying. this yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, I get your point. But like she's also not it's it's the thing of like she's not also not being set up as an antagonist. Like like even yeah. Garibaldi in season four was being set up as an antagonist. And yeah. he worked so much better in season four because he was an, an antagonist. And you could like hate him free of you know, yeah. free of guilt imposed by the narrative for hating a main character. I don't have guilt about hating Lockley. <laughs> but I just think she's awful. Yeah, it's it's so she's so inconsistent and it's like and I hate that she's the replacement for Ivanova. Yeah, so that, I think that definitely makes it worse that we went from having Apex Ivanova to this. Yeah, that's like the, you know, the shit icing on the shit cake, you know? Yeah. It's it's like, you know, we we've, we've been doing the, you know, we have X character at home memes a bunch, but it's like, you know, the the you know, we have we have a you know feisty brunette at home, feisty brunette being. Yeah, God, it's not. Yeah, 
it's it's so much worse than that too because she's just awful. So anyway, that's my bit about Lockley. She's a Nazi. It sucks. Um, let's talk about the Ranger stuff because that's way better. Oh, I do want to. I just like to start off. We had a quantum forty mention in this episode. Yes, we do. You remember quantum forty? Yes. <laughs> because I somebody, do. somebody did. <laughs> <laughs> It's been four years since we heard about Quantium 40. Yep. Yep. Apparently that's what the, the Pakmura do. They fly around trading po- Quantium 40. Uh, and that's why people put up with the fact that they eat month old rotten corpses. Uh, the, well, and before before we get completely off of the Lockley train, I would like to point out that there's a really hilarious story piece of that scene with her and Zach and Garibaldi beyond just like Zach being like, Mom, Dad, don't fight. Yeah. Can't we just have a nice dinner? I don't like saffron. But she she like pulls up her plate and pulls over the thing of sugar and just pours it into her coffee mug oh, for like ten yeah. straight seconds. I thought that was creamer at first. No. It's a lot of sugar. Now, it's sugar. In in their defense, they've established that they can't get good coffee out th- in in space, which we've already ragged on them for. But if they can't get good coffee, they certainly can't get like they're not look. They're not getting Onyx in space. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored. Call me Onyx. Um, I think that- so. It clearly is some kind of like Folgers pseudo coffee, and I get that. It's probably like Nescafe. Yeah, even worse. I think I think that part of this is that between when Babylon Five was created and us in the current day, there has been a quantum leap of like at home coffee brewing. Like the the level, like the the the, the floor level of co- like the 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 median level of coffee you can get, yeah, quick at home has risen so far in the last twenty years, yeah. Like even even like you know random forty dollar coffee makers are so much better now than they were. I think just yeah. what's acceptable as coffee has has. Yes, we we have as a society raised the bar incredibly high over yeah. what we will take for coffee. The coffee that I buy would literally not be recognizable as coffee to what my grandfather drank. Probably, he wouldn't even know what. To call it, other than the fact that it's a brown liquid made from beans. Like, I don't think it would have, he would have recognized it. Certainly he would have thought I was insane the way that I babysit my fucking brewing, with my brewing method and my, my scale and my, my, (laughs) my temperature controlled (laughs) kettle. Like, he would have thought I was out of my goddamn mind. Anyway, uh, yeah, I have so many things to say about these rangers. I love the meditation scene. I love all the baby rangers. It is especially the Pakmara ranger. Po- yeah, that scene hit me so hard because I, that is there are there is a lot of stuff in Babylon 5 that is just like dumb and there's a lot of stuff in Babylon 5 that is like other than the fact that these are aliens this scene is hilariously true to life and that is one of them. I have been in temples in San Francisco and in house Zazen sessions in Ohio and everywhere in between. And I have experienced that exact same mood (laughs) as that room, as that scene in all of them. There's the one motherfucker that's fallen asleep. 
There's the one guy, usually me, that can't sit up straight. And then there's the one guy that can't seem to focus and has too many questions for the guy, for the teacher. Like every one of those archetypes is there. And then there's the one guy that's just in a really good mood for some fucking reason, even though you've been sitting there for a, a half an hour and everybody's ass is asleep. Like <laughs> it's so true. So real quick, are you the person who can't sit up straight? I'm the one who falls asleep. Anna's the one who asks too many weird questions. I'm the fidgeter. <laughs> okay, I'm, that I'm the okay. I, I'm the I'm the one who like sits there like trying, but then like incessantly fidgets. Gotcha. Excellent. Yeah, I love that scene. I love that the one guy is like just in such a great mood that Rustan is just like laughing at his teacher's bickering, and the one and. Fucking Durhan is such a douche, and he's just like, you know, why are you laughing? And he's like, I was, you know, my inner voice was smiling. Nobody's inner voice smiles. He's mine does. He's completely <laughs> unfazed by being scolded. He's just like, I'm just happy. Fuck off. <sighs> I love all of these rangers, even Durhan, who's a yeah. big old stool. Rede- like by the end, you find him kind of charming. Yeah, and it's like he he and the other like Turball, yeah. Your know, training ranger both have this like you know, cranky, bickering old man energy. Yeah. Where yeah. like it's it's you know, it's uh it feels like the kind of evolution of Londo and Jakar bickering and like Yeah. Where they, they like the the ancient frenemies. Yeah, these are t- clearly Two, two, two guys who have known each other for a very long time and have been ribbing each other over class and demeanor differences for like 50 or 100 years or some shit like that. Yeah. Um, fun note, uh, a little bit of I Know That Face. Uh, Turval is played by Turhan, uh, what's his name? Is it Turon Bay? Turon Bay, who we have previously the seen the, cent- the cent- yeah, the Centauri yes. Emperor that went unnamed and died before Jakar could shank him, uh, but also was a famous movie star in the forties. Yes, when we uh, in our episode back in, uh, hold on, hold on, we can do this season one. No, two. Season two. two. Um, season two. Covered yeah. in our episode. Hold on. I'm, I'm getting the name for the episode here. Isn't it Point of No Return? I believe. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting the actual episode name. I believe it's the season eponymous one. No, 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 no. The name of our episode. Our episode. Oh, 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 okay. Well, fine. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, Coming of Shadows. Coming of Shadows. It is in our episode, The Babylon Project Fails. Yeah, this was his very last role. He did not do any acting after this, after this episode of TV. Uh, he died in 2012, uh, but he he stopped acting for a bunch of years. And then he came back in the 90s and did a bunch of genre TV. He was on like Sequest hmm. and VR5 and Babylon 5. Yeah. Um, and then he did this episode of B5 and that was it. And then he died in 2012. But I uh, I think he's great in this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. he, he has excellent. such good he has such gravitas in like a gentle way. I love yeah. it. the The scene where he's talking to Delan about Marcus and Lanier is perfect. It's perfect. Um, I love that scene. You absolutely buy whenever he's talking to any of them, any of the Rangers. 
you absolutely buy that he is a wizened old teacher that has, you know, has been saying enigmatic religious cast nonsense for the last 150 years. Like you a hundred percent believe that. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I love Durhan too, that like, he really has the energy of like somebody who has been cranky for so long that like everybody expects it of him. And that's how everybody around him reacts, right? Like, yeah. they're just like, oh, it's just cranky old man time. This is fun. Yeah. There's no venom behind anything that he says when he's just like, you know, yeah, exactly what I was gonna religious say. cast nonsense. Yeah, there's no there's no spite behind his crankiness. It's just a it's just how he his personality is. Yeah. Uh, when Delenn recommends something, you know, sending the the Pakmara out as a a courier because the everybody thinks the Pakmara are gross and wants to like get away from them as fast as possible and isn't going to look twice. He's like, well, I guess there's a kind of wisdom there. I guess harumph. You know, like arms crossed. Well, fine, if you're going to solve the problem for us as yeah. the leader of our order. Yeah. And then he says, I guess we'll start training him as a courier and a spy. I guess. Like, it's just <laughs> very good. The scene, though, that I think is the most affecting, though, there, there's two scenes I really like in this, epi- uh, in this episode. The first is when uh, Tanir is getting up and is trying, is like, staggering out of med bay the fact that there's like that like all these men bari and rangers from 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 the station are there and they're not doing anything they're just there showing support yeah i think is great and delen is talking about how he has to get up and face that fear or else it will own him it's uh it's a fantastic callback actually to marcus talking with franklin about ranger training Mm-hmm. That yeah. um, Marcus talks about, you know, how a big part of the training is how to, you know, confront fear um, and how to use it. Yeah. yeah. We we also get some Marcus talk in this episode. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they, they talk about that. Uh, Marcus joined the for the for the wrong reasons. Yep. My sweet baby. Yep. The other scene I love is the one we've talked about the fight where they they pick off all of traces goons in some of the like corniest fight choreography cgi of the entire show where they have these i mean badly cgi pikes donking uh, his his henchmen <laughs> as they like badly flail yeah. backwards into the dark it's so hokey it it's, looks it's, awful it's it's it, it is very batman-esque yeah, no. exactly. It's it's 60s Batman-esque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then they get into the once they get into the circle the circle, they lead Trace into this circle. That choreography is great. The way that they they've choreographed the fight is really well done to show that Tanir is very economical with the, the fighting pike, whereas Trace is sort of flailing with it. And then once they put that aside, the way that Tanir is fight is his unarmed style is very sharp. He's fighting very brutally, but also very again very economical, very yeah. very tight. Lots of elbows and shoulders and stuff like that. I, I really efficient. like the way. Yeah, I really like the way it's choreographed. 
But then the second trace goes down, he's done. There's no brutality. There's nothing excessive about it, which is absolutely a thing that they could have done with this in the yeah. sense that like, he's here to like exercise his fear. So like working out his aggression, punch, 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 punch the way you would see in a lot of shows. Like you could see them going that way, but the second he goes down, it's over. I, I thought it was a very well done. Yeah. And that highlights that Delenn wasn't lying to Lockley that this wasn't about revenge. Yeah. That because you can kind of, you can kind of hear Lockley in her head being like, yeah, sure. It's not about revenge. Yeah. In fairness, <laughs> if you translate this scene into a modern context, Delenn has used her political, her, her, uh, diplomatic immunity to kidnap a criminal suspect and then beat him unconscious before turning him over to the local authorities. And when you put it like that, it sounds pretty dubious. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, it's okay because we know he's, it's, it's kind of okay because you know yeah, it's, it's the right guy and he kind of deserved it. But also, like, it's not always great to beat the shit out of a criminal suspect before you hand him over for for a crime he committed. It's it's not great. It's, it's not, not great. great. It's not great. Like, yeah. Once you look. take it out of the context of the episode, that moment's actually sort of dubious. But the Rangers, man, they live on a different kind. These are, you know, th this is not like a police force. This is, you know, a paramilitary force. They operate on a different set of rules, apparently, and war crimes don't exist in Babylon 5 universe, so I guess it's okay to... to and, 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 you know, they didn't kick the dude while he was down. Listen, listen. No, they I just have to... struck... Uh, unlike what they did to Tanir. Like yeah, Tanir you know, just slapped him upside the head with a fighting pike when he wouldn't pick up a weapon. The guy yeah. was like, I don't want to fight, and Tanir's like, well, motherfucker, I'm gonna hit you in the head with a metal stick... And, and get you to fight. So, <laughs> so for those I'm, on the Ragers, yeah. I do have to say, I, I would I would I would like to consult the great legal mind of Joseph Adama. <laughs> okay, I'm for it. Who, Where are we going with this? Who who notes that um, you have the military who are there to deal with enemies of the state, and the police who are there to keep the peace, and when you mix the two of them. The enemies of the state become the people. And well, I'm just saying the Rangers are a bit of both. <laughs> yeah, I have. Let's put it this way. The Rangers do not withstand a lot of a, a lot of deep political examination. Yeah, no, this is we're sort of moving like it, I think for season five, it's like probably just like. Let's, I'm not going to think too hard on this. Let's one. <laughs> just enjoy how cool the the Rangers are, and not not consider the the philosophical, this, the political, the political implications of that. This of, is, a, this is a training exercise using a you know real uh, real live free range criminal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's really good. That's about. All I've got, other than the fact that the, as we put on our Twitter, the the face that Sheridan makes as he's <laughs> closing his bedroom door 
when Delenn brings up uh, Lockley. That's the face of a man so who knows he's fucked up. Yeah. The way he closes the door he's, even. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I paused it at the perfect moment. And I'm so, so, so glad that I did. Because it is such a perfect moment. You've got Delenn in the background like, mm, and Sheridan's face is just a perfect fuck. I mean, there there are times. Last month, I got to experience 2,000 people shouting at a man, you fucked up, you fucked up. And that is the appropriate amount of castigation for Sheridan at this point. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. I like that he, not like, I hate that he can't even admit it. She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that you were going to tell me at some point. And he's like, like, and she's like, you can you can pretend that, but that doesn't make it true. Yeah, and she's like, and he's like, when would the right time have been? And she's like, I don't know when you decided that this maybe was a thing you wanted to do. And he's like, well, maybe that would have been smart. I don't know. And oh god, his his everything he says there is wrong. And between the bad facial hair and hiring Lockley and this, I like Sheridan. He's made some bad decisions. He's catching some stray L's this season. <laughs> yeah, he's not done anything right this season. I can't think of a he single hired thing. Jakar. Sheridan... Yeah, all right. There you go. Yep, I'll take that. That's that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the end of this. That's all I got for this this episode. Uh, this was a yeah. I don't know. This is a weird episode. Um, it's got some some high points and some low points. Um, I think this is the episode, though, that has firmly established that uh, dunking on Lockley is going to be my new thing. So uh, buckle up yeah. for that. I think I think this has established that my memory of hating Lockley is correct. That it's it, it was correct for me to feel that way. Yeah. Midway through watching this episode last night, I, I, I joked that, yes, I have reached the point that Lockley can take a long walk off a short airlock. <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i yeah. think i stand by that yep yep all right want to move on yeah yeah hit me so next next one here is episode six strange relations written by jms and directed by john c flynn the third that is a name yeah. i don't know what that name would be uh either he directs porn or he's a minor english lord but he's one of the two I mean, he's he's directed a couple of these before. Yeah, yeah. This is he's still he's really about not mentioned. All right, I don't know. Uh, he's the cinematographer for the show. Normally, yeah. wow. I I feel like I would have made that joke before. All right. Anyway, uh, carry on. Uh, he he is the cinematographer for B five, and he directed nine episodes. Dang, what can he just? Not they knowing shit. Gray 17 is missing. <laughs> wow. Oh. That explains a lot about wow. some choices that were made in this episode, which yeah, I will have it, some things to talk about. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, well, uh, he also directed Ceremonies of Light and Dark. Like, like, okay, this list, this list of episodes that he's directed is a fucking roller coaster. So the first episode is TKO. Woof. Soulmates. Yeah. Double Woof. The Long Twilight Struggle. Okay. 
Ceremonies of Light and Dark. Yeah. Gray 17 is missing. Yes. Epiphanies. Okay. Lines of Communication. Strange Relations. And one more episode this season called uh, Movements of Fire and Shadow. Dang. Yeah. Just just a roller coaster there. Yeah, there's some there are some real fucking stinkers on that list. And yeah. some real and some decent ones too. Dang. Okay. Well, let's let's do this summary and find out where this one lands. He 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 has he, okay, he has also directed he also has directed stuffing in the year 2021, uh, which is his first TV uh, his first director credit in 23 years oh goodness which is vice squad new orleans <laughs> no comment which is apparently a tv movie uh, all right well so so following up on right on the heels of uh sheridan revealing um information about his past with lockley to delenn um we start this one with a conversation between delenn and lockley um Lockley it, D- Delenn wants Lockley to know that she knows what's up um, and Lockley asks that the information be kept between the two I mean three of them um, but of course Garibaldi is uh, right around the corner from them unknown like a creeper like a fucking creeper let's yeah. make sure that we're clear on it's a fucking creeper move he even like leers out around the corner like a <laughs> yeah, goddamn yeah. Scooby Doo villain so the, the A-plot for this episode, though, does not focus on Lockley and Sheridan's past sexual escapades. So in, instead, instead, we're focusing on the telepaths. Franklin catches Lita uh, raiding his office for medical supplies and is actually decent about it, um, being like, you know, if the telepaths just like ask, I can give them this stuff directly and you don't have to like rummage in my cupboards. Lita Lita points out that, you know, the telepaths are perhaps reasonably uh, skeptical of doctors have uh, given some of the stuff that Psychor has done to them. Uh, Lita then drops by the telepath hideout to distribute the supplies. And Byron lays on the charm like it's really good cream cheese frosting. Um, What the fuck is this scene? There's like this poetic parable about a willow tree and the declaration about how like Lita is his willow tree now and his and her roots go deep. And I (laughs) the only redeeming thing about this over while I was watching the only redeeming part of this scene is that Lita is like, what's her line? If there's an answer in there somewhere, I didn't find it. Oh, and I think she there's also a like, you know, that's the um that's the most beautiful thing that way I've ever heard somebody not answer a question. Yeah, Lita at least is like flattered, but also like recognizes that it's a it's a load of horse crap. But also, what the fuck, Byron? <laughs> yeah. This is why people think Byron is a weirdo. Is yeah. Stuff like that. So so Lita Lita does resist his charms um, and continues to just yell at him to sleep and eat a vegetable. Their their banter, however, is interrupted by the telepaths sensing a disturbance in the force. (laughs) Uh, Psychor bloodhound units are arriving on the station, led by none other than our good old buddy, Bester. 
Garibaldi happens to be in Zach's office, you know, doing potentially dubious things when the news of Bester's arrival comes in. He sprints to Lockley's office, where the captain and Bester are apparently sharing snacks and jokes and goes ag- absolutely bugfuck ballistic. Yeah. Bester is narrowly saved by Lockley punching Baldy, uh, who is then dragged promptly to the brig. Yeah, this makes Lockley look awesome since she's like having tea with the literal like badge wearing fascist and then punches and, the guy and that he his tortured. Extremely bad joke. Yeah, a joke that apparently JMS loved because it's from a uh, a Hugo ceremony where he uh, that that he attended. Yeah. Um, well, back in MedLab, Delenn and Jakar have dropped by with a job offer for Franklin. They want him to head up uh, some efforts to consolidate medical information for the various alliance species uh, and specifically research the risks of cross-species infections. And Franklin is absolutely thrilled by this idea and agrees. It figures that the point at which Franklin has agreed to leave the station is the episode at which I finally have given up on hating him. And transferred all of my <laughs> hatred to Lockley. So with, with Bester and his goons on the station, Lockley and Sheridan have a meeting. Sheridan reminds Lockley that Garibaldi might be justified for attacking Bester or attempting to uh, due to his past with the Psycop. And he also reminds Lockley that he granted the telepaths their ability to form a co- colony on the station. Um, Lockley, however, refuses to ju- judge Bester based off of the B5 reports. Uh, she has to make her own decisions. And furthermore, <laughs> Bester and company haven't broken any station rules. This time, maybe she should read a report. And since the Alliance grants sovereignty to its various member worlds, including Earth, they have the authority to take the telepaths into custody for violating Earth laws, like being telepaths who are not part of the Psychor. Sheridan backs down, but tells Lockley to find a way to keep the telepaths on the station without compromising the Alliance. Now that they have the go-ahead for their operation, Bester's team heads straight to Brown Sector, where Lita meets them. She shows off her telepathic and question mark, question mark, telekinetic, question mark, mojo, and they retreat with a plan to return with station security. She then instructs the telepaths to scatter and hide on the station. In the brig, Lockley confronts Garibaldi and wants to know exactly what his problem with her is. He spouts the usual Garibaldi stuff about how he doesn't know her and he doesn't trust anybody he doesn't know. Uh, plus, he doesn't like how chummy she is with Buster. Um, apparently, Buster helped her out with a rogue telepath on a previous posting. And he thinks that also he's some he also thinks that she's somehow blackmailed her way into this position um, because she he does not understand for the life of him why Sheridan would have put her in in the captain's seat, which yeah, no. <laughs> valid, valid. I hate that they're coming from Garibaldi, but they're valid points. It is literally the tragic, the most despicable person just made a great point. <laughs> Lockley explains that she is not actually blackmailing Sheridan. He just knows her really well because they were apparently married for three months 20 years ago. Uh, Before they discovered that they were both tops and uh, that didn't go along very well. Lockley says that 
Baldi will be staying in the brig until Bester is gone because she doesn't trust him either, which, you know, also valid. I have so many feelings about this, this whole section of an episode, <laughs> but we'll talk about it after. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Meanwhile, the bloodhounds have been rounding up the telepaths one by one. Against Lita's advice, Byron lets himself be found so he can join them. Uh, thankfully, they just beat him up and don't just like, kill him. Although that might have something to do with the, the staff meeting, where Zach reports that Bester is nearly done rounding up the telepaths and that they followed protocol the whole time, didn't kill anyone. Franklin asks for Lockley's blessing to work on his interspecies disease project, which gives her an idea. She orders him to have a report on the risks on her desk within half an hour. Once Bester is about to leave with the rogue telepaths, Lockley arrives and says that unfortunately there's a problem. All the telepaths have to quarantine for 60 days since they've traveled to so many places. Bester begrudgingly agrees to follow protocol and warns everybody that he'll be back in just a couple of months. He also warns Lockley not to trust Byron and his group because sooner or later they'll turn on her. She frees the telepaths who are grateful for at least a 60-day reprieve, but based on Lockley's agreement with Bester, they won't be able to leave the station. Lockley rather belatedly frees Baldy from the brig, and Lita joins the telepaths in their candlelit room uh, singing hymns. There are some other small plots going on. So remember back in season one where there was a ship that got antsy and like fired its thrusters inside the docks? That happened again. Um, it fucked up the docks again. Uh, so they now need substantial repair and lots of overtime from the dock workers. This happens to interfere with the travel plans of a Centauri transport that was going to take Londo back to Homeworld, uh, which explodes as soon as it sets a course back. Delenn and Jakar realize that Londo just barely escaped an assassination attempt, and Jakar agrees to serve as Londo's bodyguard when he's back at the royal court. Uh, so we can all look forward to lots of bickering between the two of them in the future. And I, I think that's all we can legally say. Always love you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's still better than the telepaths singing, though. Yeah, no, I, I apologize to our listeners for uh, making me. Well, can, uh, you, can you do that in Londo's voice? And I, I, I will always love you. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Wow. There we go. Um, um, yeah, no, give me, give me like 500, like 500 episodes of Londo and Jakar in The Bodyguard. <laughs> I yeah. This is that. the second fandom where this has become a thing now. This is the what we do in the shadows, and now this. Yeah, yep. they are absolutely feeding the shippers at this point. It's yeah, like this might be the best part of season five so far. Is just Jakar being giddy for being Claude's bodyguard of like, yeah. oh, this is gonna piss him off. Yeah, so he, much. He's like, he's like, oh, a Narn in a high position in the Centauri royal court. <laughs> yeah. The only part of this episode I liked was the Jakar stuff. It was fun to see Bester again. I disagree. Yeah. I um normally, I think I think well, hold on. Is- let me explain myself. Let me explain why. Normally when Bester's on the station, he's there for a self-serving reason 
And then he has fun, wacky, headbutting hijinks with the staff. That's not why he's here this time. This time, he is there explicitly to persecute the Psychor's mission, which is to... And he's there to be everything the Psychor, these other, these rogue telepaths are afraid of. He's there. It's it's the mirror of the first time we saw him. Yeah. He's there. Um, Back in season one. Yeah, he's there to take these, these telepaths into custody and he's got, he's working with the station's resident Nazi. Yep. There's. I do, I do enjoy seeing Koenig though. Yeah, I enjoy seeing Koenig and he, his little smug interaction with Garibaldi is like, it's a, as a character moment, it's fun, but as a narrative yeah. thing, there's nothing redeeming about him in this episode in the sense of, like, fun. It's all just gross and unpleasant. Yeah. I think I think it is I think it is a, a return to him as being much more villainous because he, he has exhausted everything he can he wants out of the station. And now he can just go back to being complete shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was much closer to his first and second. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, yeah, back when he was back here. when he was tracking Ironheart and taking down yeah. the Underground Railroad. Yeah, yeah, this is him back on back at his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is him doing his day job and being creepy and like this is why people hate him. Awful. We've seen him up to his own business for a while now, but there's a reason why he's the most reviled telepath in space, and this is it. Uh, and he's so creepy about it too. Like, like when when he's got Byron in custody, he like, like oh. puts his hand on Byron's shoulder, like, and it's just like, let me have gives this me one. Hives. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, it is like like and yeah. I think it's some there is some stuff here yeah. that is like feels much that feels much more like I it feels like the, we're not given any context or anything, but it feels like there was something personal between Bester and yeah. Byron. Yeah, absolutely. Also. I think part of what bothers me about, not bothers me, but I think part of what feels bad about this plot is we've gotten to the point with Bester where we know he's a bad guy, but we've gotten accustomed to him being just told that he's a bad guy and then he acts shitty. But here we're seeing him being the monster that everybody has been afraid of him for being. And it's it's yeah. a very different thing to see him being the monster because even in his first couple of appearance, he didn't get to take he never he barely even interacted with Ironheart, and he got scared off by the the Underground Railroad. Here he is successfully terrorizing this colony, and he's like groping Byron. It's just it's very gross and sketchy and. I'm not into it. And you can tell you can tell that he learned from uh what happened in the the Underground Railroad one because he comes with the whole squad. Um yeah. Yeah. they weren't able to they weren't able to counter him the way that they were yeah. back then. So one thing that definitely it feels like the reason why Bester feels a lot more intimidating here is because for the first time he is working with the United Earth. Yep. And well, and the station. And he's, he's got Lockley on his side. Yeah, none of the command staff is actively against him now because 
Corwin is not like like the only like normally it would be Ivanova and Sheridan and you know you know but they're no longer part of the the actual station staff yeah. and so the day to day station management has Lockley who is a collaborator. Yeah. Oh God! And Lockley Lockley's whole spiel about like oh you know. You know, I can't judge things based off of reports. I have to judge them based off of my my own observations. And, you know, you should be grateful that I do that because if I judge things based off of people, what, what I heard people say, then I would have just shot you, Sheridan. Um, it's like, mm, that's, mm, that's really telling about her personality and that's really disgusting. Yeah, it's... I really don't understand what JMS is going for with Lockley. I, I really don't like, yeah, there are not many and times. Yet I feel like we're still supposed to like her. I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. really don't. I, there are not many times in this show. Like there are the odd episodes that are amiss. Gray 17 TKO, whatever. But there are not many places but in this no- show that I would say are just, that just fail, that just don't work. Lockley, from the minute she walks onto the station, is a failure. And I don't remember this season well enough to know if it comes together at some point, but there has not been, she has not worked. She She's up there with seasons one through four or one through three or whatever, Franklin. No, she's, oh, one she's way three. worse. I mean, all my bits aside, Franklin in those seasons was just underused and like viewed through a modern lens. His interactions with females characters was really sketchy and dubious, but like the character worked in the show. I'm saying that even in the moment, I can't fathom how this character worked. I think she's just badly written from a narrative, from a character development. I think she's just a straight up fucking fail. From Go. She's a failure to launch as a character. She, we have not seen a character miss this hard since Warren Keffer. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) She's a 24-7 Keffer. I had to look up his name to remember who he was. She's a Keffer that's not even like, she doesn't even have a a dope ascot. Like, she has nothing going for her. I don't even like the actress. I think the actress is really grating as well. I thought she was fine on Lois and Clark, but I really don't even like the actress. So... There's just nothing, just nothing about this. I feel like she's trying too hard to be Ivanova. Yeah. Like just from an acting perspective, like she's trying to do the like feisty brunette thing Mm -hmm. and she needs to not do that. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's a miss. And it's just like there, there doesn't seem to be a guiding direction. And like, if I, if I thought there was a season six, I'm like, She's gonna be the antagonist for season six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you can't, like, you can't intentionally be making a character this infuriating. Yeah, yeah we'll 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 see. Because I I still get the feeling that we're supposed to like her, but like, I'm not sure, man. They're not giving us anything to like anything to for like to make us want us to like her though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Other than other than like, you're supposed to like her because she's on the command staff. She's part of the Babylon Five team. Oh, there, there's some there. This episode has some fun callbacks to other stuff. Like we get we get a reference to Ms. Connolly, who was 
there in the um, negotiations in any means necessary on behalf of the dock workers. Yeah, that's a real far reach. The, the, these last couple episodes have had some weird, like, lore pools, like, between this and Quantium 40. Yeah, there's there's also Lita's, like, threat of popping a blood vessel in Bester's brain. And it's like, oh, shit, that's exactly what the core were, like, training Ironheart to do. I did like that part. I did like that part. Yeah. I, that's the one part of this episode uh, I did like, actually, was Lita. Uh, that part. And then when, when Lita's leaving, I just like, I thought that what's her name's acting as Lita. Trisha Tallman. Trisha Hellman. Her acting in this episode was really good. Yeah, Lita's finally getting some good airtime and like good writing good acting like especially especially the stuff where like byron is just like trying to ooze smarm Mm -hmm. or charm or something ending in arm um and she's just like having none of it It it's like that's well she's real cute dude but like having a little bit of it though that's the thing she's yeah like she's she's finding amusing she's finding it amusing but she's like okay that's cute but like eat a vegetable uh i i think she's having a little more than amusement that's a thing she's enjoying the attention so lurker's guide makes an interesting point in its commentary on this episode that lita has been following people her entire arc on the show first it was kosh then she follows sheridan as this father figure and now she runs into byron who has definitely got this cult leader vibe uh oh yeah and i think that's an accurate kind of analysis i i think lita's definitely more than just like amused i think she's someone who has been mistreated who who has that need to like have a cause i think she is burned by the psychor she can't trust the psychor but i think she needs to have someone take she needs to feel wanted somewhere and yeah nobody has she is somebody who wants a direction yeah she's somebody that wants a direction and she has been ill fucking used first by the vorlons and then by the command staff and now byron is like how about your own people we value you we want you not for your powers but because of you're one of us and we we want you and then but also kind of for your powers too kind of for your powers but also because for for, (laughs) because you're one of us and yeah he is offering her a lot of good sounding stuff. And I think she is, as you can see by the end of the episode, I think she, she starts out like sort of like, okay, Smarmosaurus. But by the end of the episode, I think it's pretty clear that she's, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Which there's a lot. Oh God, the end. Yeah. That scene at the end where, first of all, I have a lot of problems with the idea of like, a diehard all telepathic community singing like hokey like hymns by candlelight I okay so that that's I hate what, that scene first of all because like if you're gonna make someone sing hymns pick a like make something yeah make something work but like i don't buy that telepaths would sing hymns i feel like they would all be done telepathically and it would be super fucking dope in their heads but they would all just do it that way but why would they be standing around singing something that my, you know, junior high youth group sang something that sounds like my junior high youth group sang. The answer is probably because it doesn't shoot well. Well, then don't do it because it was bad and embarrassing. 
you could just record actually good singers and then play I that. Mean, yeah, you can. <laughs> but but I want to. I also want to put it out there that there's that like a lot of people are not good singers. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, that- I think it's I think it's fine to have bad singers, especially like you know maybe like you're not like. Especially if you're not, like, bringing it, like, as, like, a talent thing. If it's just a bunch of people, it's, like, you can do that fine. I'm, like, I'm not going to rag on that too much. That's fine. That's it's just, just It's just so anemic coming, you know, from the same show that gave us um, and, the rock, and The Rock cried out, no hiding place. Or right? Grey 17 like, is missing. In Grey 17, at least, was it Grey 17 that has? No, it's the other episode where there's, like, a weird rag monster that does all that cool singing oh, yeah like yeah there's this show has demonstrated that it can do like some people singing just fine and maybe the intent is that the singing is bad because they're weird they're doing weird cult songs i don't know <laughs> whatever the intent is the scene just plays bad and that's i think part of my problem with this episode is that and this season is that though though there are, are some really banging character moments, and that's the stuff in this episode I like, and in the last episode as well, uh, that I like, the execution of these episodes, the in terms of like the 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 writing and in some of and, and a lot of the direction as well has just been off. And my sense is that the problem is that. The arc is aimless. Yeah, it's aimless. The arc that defined this show for the first four seasons is gone. And I don't think JMS has any fucking idea what he's doing here. Like, I I really feel like he's cobbled this together real fast and it just feels slapdash. And yeah, I I feel like you can. There is just something missing. What to me, what differentiated this show from any other mid to low budget sci-fi shit in the 90s was the absolute sheer mensch of aiming for a fucking five season plot and building this enormous narrative and in season yeah. five yeah it's over now and we we've realized that yeah you know right in week to week um we have reached mid aught spider-man jam yes <laughs> and let me tell you that's not pretty. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all like <laughs> that. Might be the meanest thing I've said about JMS in the show. I think I might need to walk that back at least a little bit. Like nothing in this season is going to be as bad as since past. Yeah, but it's pretty rough, and it's like you know what this is. This is like perfectly fine. It's become Voyager. every other sci-fi show. It's perfectly fine. Voyagers at it, this point. It's it's every other sci-fi show. Except it doesn't have a bit anymore. Yes, yeah. we we've we've hit like par with like season two of DS Nine. Yeah, and I mean like, and I enjoy season two of DS Nine. Yeah, season two of DS Nine is where it like like there's like that's where it starts to like have multi episode arcs and stuff. That's where like the Dominion stuff starts happening, and it's like that's when it ramps but up. It, but it hasn't really found its feet yet. Yeah, I mean it's it's like. It's a whole thing of it's it's sort of lost its what made it like special. What made it special in the sense of just like there isn't as much going on anymore and it's not driving towards yeah. something. Yeah. So because of that, it's just sort of rudderless. Yeah. And I think the parts of this 
so far in the season, we're six episodes in, so far in the season, what's worked and what has really been fun and good about this season has been the stuff that connects back to the grander themes of the show or the really rich character moments. Jakar and Londo, the Ranger stuff. Lower Decks. Yeah. All, all of the... Yeah, all of all this new narrative plot, the, the telepath shit, Lockley, all of that stuff has fallen flatter than a sheet of fucking printer paper because like it just it's it's there's just nothing to it but anyway my bitching aside yeah i want to talk about the scene the brig between lockley and uh and garibaldi because i i personally like i don't know how i feel about any of those scenes because i hate them both and they both point out all of the things that i hate about the other character and then i'm like you both make good points but i I hate you for it. Here's okay. Garibaldi <laughs> is like, I don't trust you because I don't know you. That's fine. That's a cynical, if a valid, if cynical worldview. But then he's his execution of that worldview, though, is so profoundly like garbage. And then Lockley's like, I don't know. The whole scene is just, you're right. It's just too. Two shitty people dunking on each other, and none of it's fun. And the big revelation that Sheridan and Lockley were married for three months just makes you like Sheridan less and makes it seem yeah. like Lockley has no business being there. Because you know what? There are people I dated for longer than three months not 20 years ago, but well, yes, 20 years ago that I wouldn't, I wouldn't put in charge of a fucking ant farm. Like, <laughs> so what that you, you know, that you had probably fairly mediocre sex with this woman 20 years ago. <laughs> like, what does that, why, why do you think that that somehow qualifies her to run the most important station in your world, John Sheridan, because she's seeing your debt, your dangle. Like, I, I think, like, I have one ex who I would trust in, like, a higher management position. The rest of all, for various reasons, I, I like, and, like, only one of, only one of them is I don't like that person, um, would be, like, this, like, all of them, except for, like, one of them, like, for various reasons, should not be commanding a military installation. Yeah, because, like... They could, they could have, they could have had like, you know, we were, we, you know, went through the academy together and we were stationed together or something like that without like, and without delving into the whole like romance. Ugh. Yeah. It, by the way, if any of my exes are listening to the show, by the, by God, I hope you aren't. Like, I am also not fit to run a space station. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just dumb. I, I, I just don't like it. That's all. I just don't like it. It's yeah. I I do have a favorite part of that scene though, um, which is that Lockley is like, okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna tell you, it can't go past this room. And Garibaldi fucking like leans in like a 14 year old girl for this hot goss. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. I hate that it's good acting from Jerry Doyle, but it's actually solid. Yeah. Um, my note for this scene is. I hate Garibaldi. I hate Lockley. 
this running plot line of them being shitty to each other is just like the worst because it's two shitty people being shitty and no one wins, least of all us. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah. Cause like yeah. we're so forced, this plot line about the two of them hating each other means that we have my two, my now two least favorite characters on the show constantly in each other's business as a running thread in every goddamn episode. Yeah. I, and I just, I, on the other hand, like I, I, I've kind of been like enjoying when Garibaldi's like, you're a fascist. And she's like, no, you. Here's the thing though. When you have two shitty people accusing the other person of being shitty, it takes the wind out of the argument. If yeah. it was like, it's not actually fun. Sheridan calling Lockley a fascist. It would be like, yeah, there you go. Or Delenn, God help me. I wish Delenn were not being the bigger person and would be like, Sheridan, you're a fucking idiot. Your ex-girlfriend's a Nazi. We need, like, can we jettison? Your last wife was a, w- was a space monster. This one's a, <laughs> a Nazi. Uh, having some real second thoughts about deciding that you are a space messiah and worth mourning for the rest of my life. Also very, wor- very worried for Delenn. Like, like, yeah. and, like for what Delenn might turn yeah, out to be. right? <laughs> From like a third party neutral yeah. observer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This whole episode, I gotta say, uh, J- what is it? John C. Flynn the third? Or is it Michael C. Flynn? John C. Flynn the third? I have to say, this is more a TKO uh, on the TKO side of the scale. I, I mean, not that yeah. far. It's not TKO, but it's definitely... Not much better. It's not good. It's there, it's there with Ceremonies of Light and Dark, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's somewhere around there. There's there's some there's some decent scenes, but overall the overall it's garbage. You wanna know what's been blowing my mind about season about this episode what blows my mind about this episode? The telepath stuff with Byron was my favorite part of this episode. And for season, like, and considering the only thing about season five, most people know is that the, the telepath stuff is awful. That should tell you where this thing lands. Well, that and Jakar and Jakar and Delenn, like, cackling over how badly the Centauri nobles are going to, like, have brain hemorrhages over him, like, <laughs> crashing their, their tea parties is far and away, like, the best scene we've had. For like two episodes. The the Jakar Dolan scenes are really good too, though. Like we've yeah. got the scene also where Jakar's like, you know, I feel like I should contribute more. And Delenn's like, well, if you're volunteering for more work, then I can figure that out. Well, yeah, and she's like And then and then Jakar's like, yeah. Why did I volunteer for more work? And Delenn's like, I don't know, but you did, so suck it. Yeah. I like the and she and she's like you put that out into the universe and the universe is going to fucking get you for that one. Like, yeah. Like they've got, they've got such solid banter between the two of them. It's, it's really yeah. good. Like it's the good, like old friends banter. Yeah. I, and I like that considering how far they've come from, I will forgive you someday, but not today to this. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like, I, I feel like growth. a lot of that is just like Frolin and Kitsulis like knocking it out of the park together. Yeah. Well, that's Katsulis. Yeah. I mean, fucking everybody is elevated by being in a scene with him. Like, I, I'm trying to remember an instance where somebody acted badly against 
Andreas Katsoulos. And I, I don't, I, I, I legitimately I mean, cannot I mean, Mira Furlan is also really good. Well, yeah, and she's fantastic too. Yeah. But I mean, like, Katsoulos yeah. legitimately elevates everyone against him. And so does Furlan to it, uh, uh, yeah. probably an equal degree. So, like, that's the part of this show that I think never gets old is these these characters that have been in the show since the beginning and these actors that just bring so much game. Furlan, Katsulis, um Jurassic. Jurassic, yeah. Not as much, uh, not as much Boxlitner. Uh, I have not been blown away. Maybe it's just the fucking facial hair. I can't get over how bad Bruce Boxlitner looks this season. He just, yeah. it's just such a bad look. JMS. Boy, did you like blow the, the it! The facial hair, the the slicked back head hair, the suit. Yeah, like I, I gotta say, JMS really—he looks like a Republican. That's what he looks like. He does. That's what. Yeah, he looks like somebody who's running for governor of a Midwest state, a Republican governor governor candidate of a Midwest state. Fuck, he does. I'm just gonna make a like a a. a, a a ruling is that we should not take 90 minutes for a season five episode. Um, um, so we're going to wrap Valid. here, y'all. I'm sure we'll have some stuff to come back yeah. to. Um, but next week, uh, we are going to be joined uh, because we're going to be joined by a guest because we want to celebrate something. That is, we are going to be covering an episode that was not written by J. Michael Straczynski. Um, so next time we will be joined by the wonderful Richard Kreutz Landry as we cover episodes seven and eight of season five, Secrets of the Soul and Day of the Dead. Until next time, I will always love you. Beautiful. <laughs> the Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.